I'm working on trying to live to be 120 years old. The more I say that out loud, the less weird it sounds. But when I see people's reactions to it, some people react, you know, whatever, you're fucking crazy. And some people are like, oh, all right, cool, man, cool. I think more and more so lately, I've been getting the, the cool, man, like, that sounds awesome type of reaction. Hey, thanks for tuning in to episode number 550. Woo woo. This is your host, M. Mauricio. That's me. Episode number 50. I'm going to do this forever. So episode 50 could might as well be episode, you know, fucking 100 or 150. Because I don't know. When do I celebrate? You know what I'm saying? When, when you know, you know that Kobe meme like, hey, you, you are you sad? Are you, uh, why, why are you not, why are you not, why are you not happy? And Kobe's like, is work done? It's not done. Work's not done. You know, that's kind of how I feel like, yeah, cool. Um, you know, I, I, I love it. I definitely appreciate you guys and gals tuning in. Uh, this is episode 50. I didn't want to like special thing. A lot of, you know, podcasts, they do like a special episode 50 thing or whatnot, but, um, it's just going to be a regular unqualified news episode uh i bring it up i'm bringing up some uh some deep deep uh articles though some some deep topics uh i wanted to get back to that 120 years right so this is this is my plan here okay <laughs> bear li- bear with me bear with me here so my plan is this i feel like life um and this is crazy i, I this is not crazy this is not crazy i can't i shouldn't keep saying that this is just very open-minded or very just like optimistic right so i feel like life can be broken down in four four sectors four quarters whatever you want to whatever you want to call them so from year one to 30 that's you know that's your you know quarter one from year 30 to 60 and then from 60 to 90 and then from 90 to 120 and i think that's how your life can be broken down and uh i'm already I already finished quarter one i'm already working on quarter two quarter two is looking pretty bright for me right now you know what i mean quarter three i see that's why you gotta keep working you gotta i i, I didn't work hard enough in quarter one for my quarter two to be more you know lax so i gotta work a little harder during quarter two that's fine that's fine i i can do that that's that's what i'm doing that's cool but i feel like if you break down if you break it down in that fashion quarter three quarter four you chilling i'm hoping that by quarter two i kick chill quarter three and four and it's just gonna be fucking chilling with robots and living in the metaverse you know but uh enough of my rants uh all right so there's three stories npr.org and i'm talking about some guy named ken star r.i.p passed away he was a prosecutor for the whitewater investigation that is an investigation that happened in the 1990s that were investigating the clintons that was like one of their first ever type well that i know of at least uh where the clintons were in the limelight of like fraud and fucking shit like that um they were they were doing some type of like um real estate fraud in arkansas when uh uh good old good old bill clinton was the when he was the governor of uh, arkansas then i have daily star it's a uh news outlet from the united kingdom and they're reporting on a assassination attempt on putin's life so they got really close this time because it seems like they almost they 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 actually got the right limousine they uh they busted out their i think the top the front uh left tire but they were still able to get away damn you know and you know putin like he doesn't even like people getting close to him he wants to be six feet apart he wants to wear a mask and all that good stuff uh so i know he's out there stressing out (laughs) 
And I also have a story here from aljazeera.com. And it's a really good article explaining on what's going on between the Armenia and Azerbaijan conflict. Azerbaijan is a uh, a country near Armenia seems to be some type of like a bully bully type country kind of like uh kind of like Russia but this is kind of odd right here because Russia is actually allies with Armenia on this one you know uh Azerbaijan um says they're they're not I mean it's just th when it comes to news from though they can say the same thing about us here you know but when it comes news from from that area of the world we don't really believe it you know what i'm saying so a lot of the news outlets that i was looking into for this uh a lot of them were saying allegedly 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 we don't know we don't know this one was the most definitive uh article that i can find al jazeera is normally like down the middle but even even with that i can tell that they're not down the middle it seems like they're they're really they're, they don't want to say that azerbaijan is uh is like the one that's kind of like being the bully here trying to take over more territory but uh that that's what i that's what it seems like to me i'm not uh you know, this is my unqualified opinion on that one. Ken Starr, the prosecutor on the Clinton Whitewater investigation, has died at 76. This one here is from NPR.org by Becky Sullivan and Jacqueline Diaz. Kenneth Starr, the one-time federal prosecutor who led the Whitewater investigation into Bill and Hillary Clinton during the 1990s, died Tuesday at a Houston hospital due to complications from surgery. His family said he was 76. Born in small town Texas in 1946, Starr entered the world of Beltway Law soon after finishing law school at Duke University. He clerked for Supreme Court Chief Justice Warren Berger in the 1970s, and was then appointed to a federal judgeship under the Reagan administration in 1983. He later served as Solicitor General under President George H.W. Bush. Starr became a fixture in national headlines in the 1990s after a three-judge panel appointed him to lead an investigation into real estate investments made by the Clintons during the years that Bill Clinton was building his political career in Arkansas. As independent counsel, Starr was granted expansive investigative powers. The scope of the investigation grew far beyond the original inquiry into the Whitewater real estate deal. Although the Clintons themselves were never charged, Starr's inquiry loomed for years over the administration. Starr investigated the death of a White House attorney, the firing of a White House travel agents, and the potential mishandling of FBI files. Eventually, Starr's investigation came to encompass Clinton's conduct as the defendant in a sexual harassment lawsuit filed by an Arkansas government employee named Paula Jones, who accused Clinton of misconduct during his time as governor of Arkansas. As part of that investigation, Starr's spotlight turned to Clinton's relationship with White House intern Monica Lewinsky and the president's testimony in a sworn deposition about his conduct with her. Starr's 445-page report about the case delivered to Congress in 1998 laid out 11 possible grounds of impeachment, including perjury, obstruction of justice, and abuse of power. The report ultimately led to Clinton's impeachment, though the president was acquitted by the Senate and served out the remainder of his term. 
Later, Starr expressed that he regretted the turn his investigation took. I deeply regret that I took on the Lewinsky phase of the investigation, but at the time, as I still see it 20 years later, there was no practical alternative to me doing so. He wrote in his 2018 memoir, Contempt, a memoir of the Clinton investigation. In 2010, Starr joined Baylor University in Waco, Texas as the school's president and chancellor. Under his guidance at the school, Starr oversaw the opening of the university's $250 million football stadium. Judge Starr was a dedicated public servant and ardent supporter of religious freedom that allowed faith-based institutions such as Baylor to flourish, Baylor President Linda A. Livingston said in a statement on Tuesday. She added that Starr's impact on the school was profound. However, Starr departed from the university under a cloud of scandal. He resigned in 2016 after an investigation revealed that the school had mishandled allegations of sexual assault involving the football team. A 2016 report from the Wall Street Journal uncovered that at least 17 women had reported sexual or domestic assault involving 19 football players since 2011. The reports also included four instances of alleged gang rapes, according to the journal. An internal examination of what went wrong at Baylor indicated that senior leadership at Baylor, Starr was not directly named, failed to implement Title IX, the federal law that polices sexual violence on campus, as well as the Violence Against Women Reauthorization Act. In a 2018 interview with NPR, Starr said about the Baylor scandal, Unfortunately, and this is going to sound like an apology, but it is the absolute truth, never was it brought to my attention that there were these issues, and I focused on student safety from day one. After Baylor, Starr joined the Lanier Law Firm in 2018, becoming a frequent commentator and defender of President Donald Trump on Fox News. Over four decades I have known Ken as Judge Starr, Dean Starr, President Starr, Uncle Ken, but most importantly, dear friend, to me, my family, our firm, our clients, American justice, and world justice. Mark Lanier, founder and CEO of Lanier Law Firm, said in a statement, the world has lost a superstar, and the world is rightly in mourning. In 2020, Starr joined Trump's defense team for his Senate impeachment trial. He is survived by his wife of 52 years, Alice Mendel Starr, his three children, and nine grandchildren. We are deeply saddened with the loss of our dear and loving father and grandfather, whom we admire for his prodigious work ethic, but who always put his family first, his son Randall Starr said in a statement. And there you have it, listeners. That's NPR.org. And I have to bring this guy up, uh, Mr. Superstar, because uh, this is another body to the Clinton body count. I don't know if you guys know about it, but it's just a lot of people dying around the Clintons that uh, investigated them. And this is one of those guys. I mean, it was very quick, little, like half a sentence. He died in a surgery, some type of surgery, probably like what I had with my arm or probably he was whatever. Right. Who knows what type of surgery, but a regular old procedure surgery. And he died at 76. Um, sucks. 76 is young. Because uh, I'm trying to live to pay 120. 76 is, um, you know, give or take halfway. 
Putin suffers assassination attempt after official car attacked with bomb. This one qualifiers is from dailystar.co.uk. It's a Daily Star from the United Kingdom by Will Stewart and Michael Moran. Vladimir Putin's car reportedly been attacked in what appears to have been possible assassination attempt, unconfirmed reports suggest. A loud bang was heard from the Russian leader's official limousine as heavy smoke came from the vicinity of its left front wheel, according to local reports. The car drove to safety with Putin unharmed, but there have been multiple arrests from his security service, while some of Putin's bodyguards have reportedly vanished amid claims that secret information about the 69-year-old ruler's movements was compromised, says General SVR Telegram Channel. The Kremlin has yet to confirm or deny the reports. According to the anti-Kremlin channel, Putin was traveling back to his official residence on an unspecified date in a decoyed or backup motorcade amid deep security fears. This compromised five armored cars with Putin and the third, according to the claim. On the way to the residence a few kilometers away, the first escort car was blocked by an ambulance and the second escort car drove around without stopping due to the sudden obstacle. And during the detour of the obstacle, in Putin's car a loud bang sounded from the left front wheel followed by heavy smoke. Putin's car despite the problems with control made its way out of the attack scene to reach the safety of the residence. Subsequently, the body of a man was found driving the ambulance which blocked the first car from the motorcade, said SVR General. The channel which boasts an inside track to the Kremlin yet provides no hard evidence for its allegations said details of the supposed attack are classified. The head of the president's bodyguards, service and several other people have been suspended and are in custody, claimed the channel, without naming any of the suspects. A narrow circle of people knew about the movement of the president and all of them were from his presidential security service. After the incident, three of them disappeared. These were exactly the people who were in the first car of the motorcade. Their fate is currently unknown. The car on which they were traveling was found empty a few kilometers from the incident. A number of Putin's close allies have died in unexplained accidents over recent months, stoking rumors that there are moves against the Russian leader from within the Kremlin. And there you have it guys and gals, that is dailystar.co.uk, that is the actual website you have to type in to find this to find this uh, news outlet. And this is another one of those stories that you're not going to really see a lot because nobody likes a story where the bad guy keeps winning, right? <laughs> we're not going to put, you know, we're not going to start publishing this like, oh, Putin almost killed but made it, you know, none, none of that, none of that. If this would happen to any of us, you know what I'm saying, any of our presidents, uh, we'd be like, okay, we're unstoppable, we're invincible, Captain America, blah, blah, blah. They're trying to kill this guy, man. He's 69 years old. There have been multiple, multiple, multiple attempts on his life. If you really look into it. Um, but uh, he, he seems to be... He's fucking killing everybody. I mean, it makes sense why everybody wants to kill him. So... What is behind the Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict flare-up? This article here is from aljazeera.com. Dozens of Armenian soldiers have reportedly been killed in renewed border clashes between Armenia and Azerbaijan. 
in the worst fighting scene since the hostile enemies were embroiled in a 2020 war over the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region. After several hours of fierce border fighting overnight on Tuesday, Armenia appealed to the world leaders for help, saying Azerbaijani forces were trying to advance on its territory. Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan has demanded from world leaders an adequate reaction to Azerbaijan's aggressive acts. Russia, Armenia's closest ally, said it had convinced the historic rivals to agree to a rapid ceasefire. What happened? Armenia said that Azerbaijani forces launched intensive shelling with artillery and large-caliber firearms against Armenian military positions in the direction of the cities of Goris, Sut, and Jermuk shortly after midnight. Azerbaijan's defense ministry accused Armenia of large-scale subversive acts near the districts of Dashkesan, Kelbajar, and Lachin on the border, adding that its army positions came under fire including from trench mortars. Elner Mamadov, Azerbaijan's deputy foreign minister, said Armenia has been shelling Azerbaijani military positions for a few weeks now. That shelling has been intensified over the last few days. Armenia has started amassing heavy weaponry and armaments along the Dean border between Armenia and Azerbaijan. What happened overnight is a large-scale provocation by Armenian military against Azerbaijani positions as well as the shelling of employee and civilian infrastructure. According to Pashinyan, 49 Armenian soldiers have been killed, with the number expected to rise. Azerbaijan's defense ministry said 50 military personnel died during the overnight clashes. How did the world leaders react? Turkey a close ally of Azerbaijan, told Yerevan to cease its provocations against Baku with Foreign Minister Mevlub Kavosolu saying on Twitter that the country should instead focus on peace negotiations and cooperation with its neighbor. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Washington was deeply concerned about reports of the attacks and urged an end to any military hostility immediately adding that there can be no military solution to the conflict. Russia said it was extremely concerned by the uptick in fighting. Charles Michael, the president of the European Council, said the bloc was ready to make efforts to prevent further escalation, adding that there was no alternative to peace and stability in the region. Has a ceasefire been reached? Russian's foreign ministry said it succeeded in brokering a truce that began at 9 a.m. Moscow time. We expected that an agreement reached as a result of Russian mediation on a ceasefire will be carried out in full, the ministry said in a statement. What's the background of the conflict? At the heart of the conflict between the former Soviet republics is the highly contested Nagorno-Karabakh region where two wars have been fought over in the 1990s and more recently in 2020. The enclave is internationally recognized as Azerbaijani territory, but it is populated with ethnic Armenians who either want to secede or join Armenia. Azerbaijan considers ethnic Armenians to be illegally occupying their land. 
At least 30,000 people were killed in the conflict following the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, after ethnic Armenian separatists broke away from the Azerbaijan. The six-week war in 2020 over Nagorno-Karabakh killed at least 6,500 people and ended with a Russian-brokered truce. Under the deal, Armenia seceded swaths of territory it controlled for decades, and Moscow deployed about 2,000 Russian peacekeepers to oversee the fragile ceasefire. And there you go, qualifiers, listeners. That's from aljazeera.com. And I think Al Jazeera did a really good job breaking down the Armenian-Azerbaijan conflict here. Um, I mean, uh, you know, it says conflict. Some people can say that Azerbaijan is... I mean, invading, they're technically invading the territory of our Armenia. Uh, but I wanted to touch something here. I wanted to touch something on uh, on this. Uh, so they're asking, what are the leaders, you know, what are the leaders saying? And of course, you know, we, we put our foot down and we said, uh, you know, end the hostilities immediately from here. I mean, come on, what are we going to, come on. We really are not going to do anything right now because look, Russia is allies with Armenia. We're giving billions of dollars to Ukraine to fight Russia. You see where this is? You see why you're not seeing this on the main news right now? You see why, you know, you don't see this conflict on TV right now? Because it's very, it's it's a it's conflict of interest, you know? The news can't, can't keep hurrahing. Yeah, yeah, let's keep sending money to Ukraine. Woo, woo. And then you know what i'm saying and then this is happening and it's not to minimize what's happening in ukraine or or like who's suffering more it's not but i mean i think there should be it should just be transparent but i mean what's new you know what i'm saying there's no such thing as transparency when it comes to information you know i mean there's a lot of things that you guys are probably thinking in your head like oh motherfucker this guy he never talks about this he never talks about that i wonder why he never wants to talk about this and that and this and the other i mean there probably is some things that i don't want to talk about maybe some things that even i think i'm way unqualified to talk about you know but um i try to i try i try to to not censor myself so um i think I don't know if you guys are gonna be able to hear that, but there's a lot of police activity. Uh, I have to keep stopping because uh, they're they're literally going down my street. I had I brought this one up because there was a there's a qualifier, a friend, a close friend that uh, mentioned this on their uh, Instagram, and uh, and 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 she's right. I, I had not seen it, and I'm on Twitter, you know, I'm on Instagram, on I'm on all these you know news outlets. I follow so many different types of news, and I, I this had not came up. I had to actually search for it, and when you search for it, there isn't a lot of news. Uh, definitely not the main ones, you know, not the not the main ones are, are really talking about it, and when they do the, the the stories are very vague very small as for what's going to happen here i'm not really uh it, it doesn't look good it doesn't look good that russia is the main ally of armenia it doesn't look good that um we keep putting money into the ukraine and russia conflict it's kind of it's kind of ironic russia is trying to take more land from ukraine and now we have azerbaijan trying to take more land from armenia which is russia's ally i i I, this has to stem back i'm sure from the 1800s of some i'm guarantee you if we do a couple googling i bet this stems from some type of uh conflict from the 1800s or something 
And as of this recording, uh, there is a ceasefire there. So everything seems to, to have, I guess, cooled down. But I mean, I started YouTubing a lot of uh, information about this before uh, I did this episode. And what's crazy is a lot of the news sites, even Al Jazeera, one of the broadcasters said, you know, somebody said, hey, well, you know, Azerbaijan has killed blah, 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 Armenian soldiers. And then the uh, Al Jazeera broadcaster kind of stopped them, said, hey, uh, well, that's allegedly we, we can't confirm that. And that kind of like took me off a little bit, kind of that was a little odd. That was a little odd to see the way it was very awkward, you know, and um, again, it just mirrors what's happening in the Ukraine and Russian conflict. You know, Ukraine is very heavy on controlling the media. They're they're heavy on pumping out propaganda. You know, they, they, they pump out things to make us feel certain ways. And uh, I mean, come on, you know, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, he used to be an actor, kind of like Ronald Reagan and Trump. So he's a character, you know, he's a character. That doesn't make him a bad person. I'm just mentioning that, that uh, every time I see him doing things, I think about his, his background. And this seems to be a war that's been going on since the 1990s, uh, since the Soviet Union collapsed. So uh, again, man, this, this is gonna be an ongoing situation as, uh, as Ukraine. Alrighty, qualifiers, guys and gals. I really appreciate you guys tuning in again. This was episode number 50. That seems to be a big deal for people. But um, you know what I mean? I, I just love doing this. Uh, sitting down, recording is is something that I really, really, really enjoy. It, uh, If anything, I feel like it helps me more than it helps you. Though I'm pretty sure a lot of these articles that I bring up are fucking things that you guys can talk to other people about. Please bring these things up. I talk about these things. When you see me IRL, like the young people are saying, in real life, you this is what I talk about. These are the type of things that I bring up. These are the type of things that I actually really like to talk about. The news, you know, things that are actually happening. Things that 20 years from now, 10 years from now, we can say, hey, friend, remember, we were talking about... Azerbaijan and Armenia and I'll look at it we're fucking all Azerbaijani you know what I'm saying I'm just kidding but you get me right it's history it's history in the making is what news is and I love history if you don't know already I love history and uh I love the news because technically the news are history in the making I don't know this is it's probably been said before but that sounds fucking good uh again appreciate you qualifiers and uh love you peace <laughs>